and welcome back to another edition of the Champs Corner podcast featuring Mark Jennings. I'm your host, Drew Champlin. We've got a great podcast in store for you today. We will recap Alabama's 39-10 win over Missouri. We'll talk about some basketball and football prospects and more. But, uh, you know, to me, the biggest news of the Alabama-Missouri game was the return of Dixieland Delight. And to bring on someone who played a big role in bringing that back, uh, Mark Jennings. Let me introduce my co-host, Mark Jennings. Mark, how you doing? Drew, let me just tell you how how much I enjoy coming on your podcast every week. And you know there was a long time where we went without having a podcast. And I was really depressed and really disappointed. And it was a real struggle for me. And I just want to say how glad I am to be back on your podcast every week. I work so hard during the week to bring my expertise to you and your listeners and so they can share and the knowledge and and the fact that I've worked decades to develop this knowledge. And I just want to be able to share that with them. Drew, I am so glad to be on the podcast this week. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing really well. I spent the whole day yesterday in Tuscaloosa, went to some different tailgates, saw many of our listeners who could not wait for the next episode to drop and they'll get their wish as we're recording this on Sunday night. And uh, I think I think it was last, maybe Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, when they announced that Dixieland Delight was going to come back. And that's the popular Alabama song that they last played in 2014. And they stopped playing it because all the students kept yelling uh, a bad word before the before Auburn and some in the middle of the song. But Mark, uh, you tweeted at your Twitter account at Mark Jennings five five that you recommended that Mr. Byrne, Greg Byrne, the athletics director get Dixieland delight back being played at games. What uh, does this have anything to do with your dip and dots business or, or is it, was it totally separate? Well, Drew, I wish I could say that I had nothing to do with it, but the fact is that I was really the main force in bringing Dixieland delight back to the students. Like personally, I, I I don't get it. I don't understand. It's a song about people, uh, you know, making love in a truck in East Tennessee. So I don't understand the allure or the appeal to it. But people really seem to like it. You know, I always tell people when they come up to our Dippin' Dot stands to say hello and, and to introduce themselves and be friendly. And, and I love meeting the customers at our Dippin' Dot stand. And, but when I talk to them, and I talk to three minutes, they always, all of them always mention how much they wish they could bring Dixieland Delight back to Bryant Denny Stadium. I don't understand the allure, the appeal of that, but that's what they want. You know, God bless them. I'm going to do what I can to bring it back. So in my weekly conversation with Mr. Byrne, you know, we were talking about the Minute Maid stands, the Minute Maid stands being too close to my all-natural dipping dots. And and part of the negotiation, you know, there's a significant financial agreement to get the Minute Maid stand separated from the Dippin' Dot stands because I don't want that those type of you know inorganic material that is Minute Maid made from concentrate next to my Dippin' Dot stand. And as part of the financial agreement, I was able to negotiate bringing. Dixieland Delight back to Bryant Denny. And that's why you saw all this huge movement this week in bringing Dixieland Delight back to 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 Tuscaloosa and the video boards were, were reading the lyrics out to everybody and making sure they didn't use any the students didn't use any vulgarity during the song. 
I wish I could say that that was not me, but honestly, Drew, I had a whole lot to do with that. And, and I'm just glad that the students at the university and the people who attend the games at the University of Alabama were able to experience Dixieland's light again, and I had a lot to do with that. I'm really happy to hear that, Mark, and that's pretty much exactly how I thought it went down, but I just wanted you to explain it to me and to the listeners. Uh, maybe, did, did you go to the game? Is that what you're saying, that you that you went to this to make sure they did it right and that your business went well? Well, that's part of the deal, you know. I, I'm, I'm at every Alabama home game to make sure operations are running smoothly. You know, me and Caden, we work as a pretty good team into making sure that our Dippin' Dots operations are running, are running the right the way they should be running. But I, I also had an eye this week on making sure Dixieland Delight was run properly and that the university did their job in bringing that type of enjoyment back to the fans. And I, I, I'm just glad the fans are happy and got a great experience in, as a result of me, uh, me solely bringing Dixieland Delight back to the university. Did uh, did did you get any feedback on the, if it will return for the rest of the home games against Mississippi State, the Citadel, and Auburn later this year? I talked to Mr. Byrne after the game, and I gave him my 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 thoughts on the process, and he seemed, and we, we and I both agreed that Dixieland Delight should be a staple of Alabama home games, and he seemed satisfied with the way it played out. So it is my it is my understanding that Dixieland Delight will be continued to play be played at at Bryant Denny Stadium. I will learn more when I talk to him in my weekly conference call with him this week as to what we need to do to ensure that Dixieland Delight stays as a part of the Alabama tradition. Uh, but but as of now, my understanding is it's it's going to remain a, a part of the game day experience. That's great to hear. I had a chance to go to the game. I bought a couple of tickets off the Tider Insider Ticket Exchange, and they were on the east side of the upper deck or whichever side it is with the chair backs. Uh, second row from the top, which I found out, but, you know, you can see the plays develop. As I'm walking, and, and what I'm getting to is, Mark, how, your, how did your business go on Saturday with the slight drop in temperatures? Because I went up to U3 to my seat, walked up the circular ramp, and really wanted some dip and dots when I got to the top. I uh, did not see any Dippin' Dots carts, but did see two Minute Maid carts uh, that were not next to a Dippin' Dots carts. I certainly didn't want any fake orange juice or lemon chills or whatever whatever byproduct they're trying to sell me. But uh, how did it go, and why did I not see any Dippin' Dots carts up at U3? Well, we've done a lot of analysis as the, the, the purchasing behavior of the people that go to Alabama football games. And the people that sit in the upper deck, what we call the nosebleed seats... Uh, they they don't really uh, buy a lot of dipping dots, so it's not worth the manpower. It is it would minimize our profit to have our dipping dots up there, to where you are, and so maybe it's the wind chill. I don't know, but people just don't up there don't buy as much dipping dots. So as part of the financial agreement with Mister Byrne, I was able to persuade him to have only Minute Made up there in the upper deck where you sit. And that way, that 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 worked out fine for me because I don't want Dippin' Dots up there to be profit minimizing to have the cart up there. And so, as part of our agreement, only Minimate carts are up in the upper deck, and that was one of the ways I was able to convince Mr. Byrne to separate our Dippin' Dots product from 
the Minute Maid. So if people in the upper deck bought more Dippin' Dots, we would have more Dippin' Dots up in the upper deck. But the fact of the matter is that they don't. And it's not profit maximizing for me as a capitalist entrepreneur to continue to put Dippin' Dots in the upper deck when people don't buy them. So that's why there's no Dippin' Dots up there. You're only able to see Minute Maid. Okay, yeah, I didn't see anybody purchasing any Minute Maid up there. Did business go well for you on Saturday night? It went better than expected to be real honestly. We were concerned with the weather. With you know, it, we're into October now, the middle of October. We worried that it wasn't going to be as hot as it usually was, and people weren't going to look for Dippin' Dots as refreshments. But we are really surprised the number of people who wanted our product, and really, it it, it serves as a as a testament to the quality of me as an entrepreneur that we were able to sell as much. Um, you know, me as a as a mark as a natural marketer. And as a natural businessman, we were able to sell uh, excessively more Dippin' Dots than we were expecting. So it was a fantastic day for us Saturday in the in the Dippin' Dots world, and 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 it was a great day for me, and and my profits greatly exceeded my expectations. Great. Well, I know you you plan all week for this podcast, uh, looking at film of, of prospects. So let's actually get to some real football and basketball prospect talk, and then a little bit of game review and. Take some listener questions. Alabama had a big official basketball visitor named Drew Timmy. He is a six foot ten, two hundred thirty-five center, two hundred thirty-five pound center from Pierce High School in Richardson, Texas. And when you look at Alabama's needs for this year, they have three wing commitments, and they're going to need a big because Dante Hall's graduating. And I wonder, you know, if Daniel Giddens, you know, he he'll be a fourth year junior this year. I wonder if he'll stay around for another year if he's not playing much this year. Alabama's had a lot of guys grad transfer out in the past, so. There's definitely a need for a big man in this class. Mark, what is the analysis on Drew Timmy? And are you hearing anything as far as his recruitment goes? Well, he's a 6'10", 235-pound center. So he's got to have to put some weight on to be able to battle in the SEC. He's very skinny right now. You know, you mentioned Dante Hall earlier. His body shape right now is not dissimilar to what Dante Hall's was when he came into college. But Dante Hall's been able to put on some weight. And and become a pretty effective SEC player, and that's the potential that Drew Timmy has. Um, he's a very scrappy player. He likes to go down low and really fight and really fight for rebounds. He's a, he's a very good rebounder. You know, we talk about rebounding as if the only thing that matters is your size, but to be honest with you, the greatest rebounder in the history of basketball is Charles Barkley. He was really an undersized forward. Uh, but Drew Timmy Drew Timmy has a, a fantastic. Uh, ability to rebound the ball, he can he can kind of stretch the floor for you a little bit. He's got a little bit of an outside game. He can shoot threes. I, I worry about his mid range game the same way I worry about Dante Hall's mid range game. Um, so, but I think Drew Timmy's got a chance to come in and make a real impact as a first year player in the SEC. And, and for big guys, it's not real common. Uh, even even five, you know, Alabama's had five star centers come in, uh, but even then, it's not real confident can come in and be a, a fantastic basketball player in their first year. Drew Timmy has that opportunity. Um, when you look at him, you know he's kind of that Ray LaFrent, Scott Pollard type, uh, but he's got that outside shot to go with him. Um, to to tell you where he's going, I can't share that with you right now. That's between me and his family. Uh, but what I can tell you is that we're talking about him on the podcast, and and I think that should be a signal to everyone listening that Alabama has a real 
uh, a significant shot with him. So when I look at Drew Timmy and I look at him as a player, and and you know how seriously I take my comparisons and 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 I break down this film and it's hours and hours of breaking down this film and how I I look at him as a player. He reminds me a lot of a guy out of the state of Pennsylvania, uh, graduated from the Apex Academy in New Jersey, uh, went and had a fantastic college career and, and got drafted, in, I believe, in the first round of the NBA draft. A guy by the name of Markeith Morris. Drew, do you remember Markeith Morris? Yeah, is it the same Markeith who had the twin brother, Marcus, who also played with him at Kansas? That Markeith Morris? That's correct, Drew. That exact same Markeith Morris. You know, him him and, and Marcus were drafted back-to-back in the NBA draft. And and I always thought that Markeith was the better of the two players and, and really was going to have more of a significant impact in the NBA. And that's really what's turned out to happen. So when I look at Drew Timmy play basketball and the way he approaches the game with his mental toughness and his physical toughness – he reminds me a lot of Markeith Morris. Yeah, I think that's a very good comparison. Markeith Morris has really been a good stretch four, stretch five type player in the NBA. He likes to get out and shoot the threes, and he's also very scrappy. Very, he'll, He's not afraid to mix it up down low, and that's what I hear about Drew Timmy as well. To speak, uh, to change sports over to football, Alabama did have a, you know quite a few visitors as well. But one big one that they're really trying to get, and we hit on them last week in the podcast, Ishmael Sopcher, the five-star defensive tackle out of Amit, Louisiana. Same high school as Devontae Smith, the sophomore receiver, so there's a connection there, I believe. What uh, what are you hearing out of Sopcher, Mark, and what kind of player is he? Well, I think he's Alabama's to lose at this point. You're talking about a fantastic player. Louisiana is known for developing great defensive linemen coming out of their high school system, and, and that's really a testament to the great high school coaches in Louisiana. And this is another one of the fantastic players to come out of there. He's strong. He's quick. He's big. He really plugs the gap, and, and, and he's really going to serve as the, as the middle of that 3-4 defense that Coach Saban likes to run. You know, the days of – of Terrence Cody being 390 pounds of being in the middle or over. But this is a guy who has the type of athleticism to play in the type of defense that Nick Saban wants to run. So I think Alabama's a leader at this point. He's a fantastic player. He reminds me a lot of a guy out of Mobile, Alabama, a really fantastic player in high school. And, and, and it's really, you know, the reason he didn't go to Alabama is really because of the previous coaching staff before Coach Saban and, and Coach Saban couldn't do enough to get him to go to Alabama when he graduated. And, and really, it's a testament to uh, – he went, eventually ended up going to Auburn. It's a testament to the Auburn coaching staff that they were able to get him eligible. You know, they used all the tools necessary from, from the high school teachers to the high school counselors to manipulating his grade to get him to be able to eligible for college. And I'm talking here about Nick Fairley. Do you remember, do you remember Nick Fairley? I do. Uh First-round draft pick out of Auburn back in 2011, I think, and he went to Copiah Lincoln for about a year or two before going to Auburn, if we're talking about the same Nick Fairley here. That's the same Nick Fairley, Drew. Trouble with his grades when he was at Williamson High School in Mobile, but again, you know, I, you know, Auburn's able to talk to his high school counselors and get him eligible and use all the tools they have, and, and it really ended up with being for best for the kid because he was able to go to Copiah Lincoln and, and eventually to Auburn to get himself eligible, so... Uh, just a fantastic high school 
and college defensive linemen really caused a bunch of havoc on that 2010 national championship team for Auburn. And I think Isaiah Sopcher can have the same effect for Alabama if he ends up committing there. Yeah, I believe that as well. Let's talk a little bit more about the game, the 39-10 Alabama victory and Tua Tungabailoa. 12 of 22 for 265 yards, three touchdowns. Still has not thrown an interception, although he did lose a fumble after a sack. And uh, I think a lot of people are really worried about his knee. And he, uh, this was in his right knee, he played with a brace on it for much of the Arkansas game. And he took a slide, I think it was in the third quarter, and he was down for several minutes before coming out. And Nick Saban said he could, uh, he could he could have come back and played if needed, but Jalen Hurts finished it out 7 of 8 for 115 yards. Hurts even had a catch from Tua for 7 yards. But what uh, what what happened uh, from – I know you're not a doctor, Mark, but what happened on the slide do you think that maybe aggravated Tua's knees and, and do you think his knee is affecting his, his throwing, uh, anything to do with his throwing? Well, Drew, again, I can't get into violating HIPAA laws. You know, I – you know, I don't want to violate any federal laws here. What what happens, uh, what I know about Tua and his knees, I can't share with you, and I apologize for that. But, you know, Tua's knee, it's sore right now, but he's going to be fine. He's He's got, you know, if you watch the first of the game and you watch him throw, uh, you can pretty tell that when he planted on his knee, uh, he wasn't able to develop the kind of accuracy that we're known from Tua Tagovailoa. From, from his career, and that was a that was a struggle for him. But I, I, on the slide, you know, I think that was an effect of him putting too much pressure on his knee, and it was too much for him. And he saw him when he hobbled off and and went to the medical tent. That you could tell it was pretty sore, and you could tell it was an ACL. They weren't the trainers weren't performing an ACL test on the knee, so I, I think he's going to be fine. Whether he plays Saturday or not, you know, I, I can't mention that. That's up to him and the doctors. Uh, but I suspect for the long run, the rest of the season, he's going to be okay. Yeah, and Alabama gets the bye week this week after playing Tennessee. Tua also threw an 81-yard touchdown pass to Jerry Judy on the second play from scrimmage. He threw touchdown passes of two yards to Irv Smith Jr., 13 yards to Devontae Smith as Alabama opened up a 30 Actually, a 32 to 10 lead, and uh, or you know, it was 20. Let's see, it was 30 to 10 at halftime, and so after that, they just kind of you know, hey, let's get out of here. They had some other injuries. Devontae Smith got banged up, uh, left as well. Henry Ruggs got his knee twisted by an Arkansas or by a Missouri linebacker, but he came out and played. Even had a big catch later in the game. It looks like he'll be fine. Not sure about Devontae Smith. How about Joseph Boulevas? He had another strong game for the Crimson Tide. The kicker hit three short field goals. 28, 30, and 20 yards, three or four. He missed, I believe it was a 52-yarder. He had the distance. It was just wide in one direction, which I couldn't really tell which direction from my upper deck, upper, upper deck seats. But uh, kickers are an easy target from Alabama, uh, for Alabama fans, it seems like. Um, but what uh, what's your opinion on the kicking game? You know, it was off for a little bit, but now it seems like it's been corrected. Well, you know, Drew, there's really three parts of the kicking game, and there's the snapper, and there's the holder, and the kicker. And, you know, and I honestly think, you know, Thomas Fletcher is the greatest long snapper in the history of the game. And he does a fantastic job kicking out there, but he's been snapping to Tua Tongavaloa, I believe is how you pronounce it. And, and as much as, as Alabama fans love Tua as a quarterback, he's really not much of a holder. 
You know, you have a problem getting the laces symmetric. You want those laces facing north towards the goal line. Uh, but two is not very good at getting those laces facing in the right direction. Sometimes they're they're off to the side, and that pro causes a problem with the kicking because the extra mass with the laces on the side of the ball, well, it really affects the weight and, and weights of force. It affects the gravity. It really causes centrifugal acceleration towards the earth. And that's really why a lot of the times you look at these kicks, these kicks have been, you know, moving to the left or right. That's because Tua couldn't get the laces on the correct side of the ball. But Mac Jones is a fantastic holder and he really gets the laces in the right place. And I think that had a lot of to do with the kicks being more accurate and precise for Joseph Boulevard uh, on Saturday. So, uh, you know, I'm not getting to physics or anything, but, you know, the, the, the mass of the ball, when it leads towards one side, it really pulls it towards the earth and causes the ball to push or pull in a certain direction. So I really think a lot of the fact that, that Alabama had a more successful kicking game on Saturday was because we had a, Alabama had a holder that was able to get the laces pointed in the correct direction. And there wasn't that centripetal acceleration that we had earlier in the season. So, uh, you know, I, I love Tua as a quarterback. I don't I don't love him as a holder. Uh, I don't think that he is uh, the best holder that Ibem could possibly have in that situation. And, and I think there have been some coaching mistakes there thinking to put him out as the holder. And I think Mac Jones is the answer there. And I think that Saturday proved that to be correct. Yeah, I'm glad you noticed that observation, and thank you so much for the analysis there. I thought it was, you know, very. Uh, I thought it was simple, but apparently it wasn't. But that's that's some great stuff. Um, Alabama plays Tennessee at Tennessee on Saturday. Tennessee coming off a 30 to 24 win at Auburn, and uh, it's I don't know what's going on down at Auburn, but Tennessee it's their first win, an SEC win, and 11 tries, I believe. What? Uh, when you watch that game, I'm sure you've broken down the film for our listeners. Tennessee had some success in the passing game. Do you have any thoughts or observations from that game? Well, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with the Auburn football program right now. You know, it doesn't help that Coach Malzahn, uh, you know, the team lost four games last year, and, and he didn't do anything to really temper expectations. And, you know, they lost seven guys off their defense in that team that lost four games, and they thought they would just come in and plug in. And that's just not the way that college football works. So uh, Auburn fans are really, you know, the, uh, from what I understand, they're very surprised and upset about what's going on with the Auburn football team right now. But it's not really surprising, uh, you know, the success that Jarrett Stidham had last year as the quarterback – was was a lot of that had to do with the success of the running game and the opening up passing lanes and now the running back the the running game is really struggling and 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 Jarrett Sims not as good anymore. Well, you know, offense is not just a running game, passing game thing. So these are mutually exclusive. They're all part of the same offense. And if one struggles, that's going to affect the other one. That's going to struggle. And and that's really what's going on with Auburn right now. And, you know, Cole Kubelik's out there complaining about players talking to the media and and you know but he doesn't know what's really going on he's just an outside observer and he's trying to make his points to elevate ratings for his uh, radio talk show that he has but but he doesn't know what's going on he doesn't know what I know what's going on and players are frustrated with the play calling they're frustrated with the fact that 
The offensive line is underperforming. They're frustrated with the fact that they don't have a running back that's really an NFL running back that they've had in the past. And and it's really just a dysfunctional team. And 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 that's really what's going on with Auburn right now. You know, I don't think anybody, you know, people who really knew what was going on with the Auburn program, they didn't predict them to win the national championship this year. They are predicting them for a lower-level bowl. And that's, I believe, the same thing I predicted when, with the Auburn football program this year. They're a mediocre team. They don't have a lot of weapons on offense. The defensive line, the defensive front's very good, but that can only last you so long. And that's what we saw Tennessee on Saturday. Uh, Tennessee only had, I believe they had less than 70 yards rushing on Saturday. You know, if you hold a team to less than 70 yards of rushing in an SEC football game, you should be able to win that game. But, you know, it's a team effort, and Auburn really doesn't have a great team right now. And that's why they allow a team that hasn't won an SEC conference game since 2016 to come into their house and rush for less than 70 yards and win. And, and the score was 30-24, but, but nobody was really concerned about Tennessee losing that game or Auburn winning that game in the final moments. I think everybody knew once Jarrett Stidham turned the ball over and Tennessee ran in for a touchdown, the game was essentially over. So Auburn's a dysfunctional team right now. Tennessee has some momentum going forward to Alabama next week. But honestly, I, I think that Auburn is very is really struggling right now. And and the fact that their fans are so obsessed over uh, the, their performance really need to go back and look what Coach Malzahn was saying in February. And Coach Malzahn is really at fault for a lot of this because he didn't temper expectations at all. And, and it's really mind it's really mind boggling the the intellectual bankruptcy of the Auburn program, the Auburn fans to to think that they are going to be good with this this year when all the signs were pointing to them were pointing to them being a very mediocre, having a very mediocre season. Yeah, Mark, don't you think some of that's the fault of the liberal media for hyping up this team? Well, you know, guys like Philip Marshall and guys with liberal media, they're out to sell subscriptions, you know, and they want to make sure they got the idiot fans up there to sign on to their website and pay them 11 or $12 a month. The liberal media has a lot to do with it, and and I wish I could tell you that the, the liberal media were being honest and fair with the Auburn football team right now, but they have subscription sites to sell and they have really gullible fans uh, that keep buying into what they're selling. And, and now they're all shocked that Auburn's not as good, but anyone half a brain could tell you that Auburn wasn't going to be very good this year, but you know, they've got their websites to sell and their, their monthly subscriptions to make sure they get that auto draft going on your, from your bank account. And so they can, you know, make their livelihood selling a crap. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm offended. You know, me, I'm very pro-consumer. I want the consumers to get the best possible product they can have out of out of their information. You know, these hardworking people who go out trying to support a family. And the fact that these subscription sites are selling them bad information, personally, is highly offensive. And they have a lot to do with it. But at the end of the day, it's just a common sense thing to where you got to know that Auburn's not going to be very good, no matter what the Christian type is telling you. So I'm kind of torn on the whole thing, to be real honest with you. Um, you know, you got a real gullible fan base in Auburn. You know, the, Auburn's known for having a pretty gullible fan base. They're going to believe whatever they want and pay money to have people tell them how good they are. So it's part of their fault too. It's really, it's really just a mess. 
and I wish I knew a way to fix it. But frankly, I'm real focused on my dipping dots operation at this point. So if idiots want to continue to give them twelve dollars a month to make them feel better about themselves, they can do that. Yeah, anything about Tennessee stand out to you? I know they had some success in the passing game. Uh, it looks like their quarterback had a really nice game. Uh, the rising sophomore or the current the sophomore. I thought Jarrett Guantanamo looked really good out there, to be honest with you. Um, I, Tennessee pretty much abandoned the running game because they knew that, that they were going to have problems running the ball effectively. But let's not, let's not mince words here. This is a wholly the fault of the Auburn offense and their inability to pass the ball and move the ball down the field. You know, an SEC offense that is successful, you know, it, it's the same things that won – you know, today, the same things that win today are the same things that won 40 years ago. It's the ability to move the ball on the ground instead of the passing game. Auburn threw the ball 45 times, and I believe Jarrett Stidham only averaged 7.2 yards in attempt. That's just not winning football. And when you've got a problem with your offense where the running game is unsuccessful, so you have to pass the ball 45 times, at home against a team that hasn't won a conference game since 2016. If you have to pass the ball 45 times at home against a team that hasn't won a conference game since 2016, you don't deserve to win the game. And that's what happened. And and I'm not going to say the better team won, but the team that, that deserved to win the game won. And that's what happened on Saturday. Yeah, I thought the same as well. I didn't have a chance to watch a whole lot of it, but I do know Tennessee's going to be without their leading tackler, middle linebacker Daniel Batuli, for the first half as he was ejected for targeting late in the second half of the game. So that's a big loss, at least to start. Uh, but, Mark, did you have a chance? I know where you were Saturday. Uh, did you have a chance to go catch a game, a high school game on Friday night? I did, Drew, and it was a game I was looking forward to all week. You know, my favorite love, my first love is high school football. I only pay attention to college football to to make you and the listeners happy. I was able to go to the the Mountain Brook-Hewitt-Trussell game on Friday night. It was a fantastic game. Mountain Brook pulled the upset 20-17. Yeah, Paul Tyson, the Alabama quarterback commit, one of four Alabama commits in the game. He went 19 of 27 for 121, or 171 yards, just throw an interception. Uh, usually he's thrown for about 350 yards, right? But, Mark, I didn't have a chance to see the game. Did uh, Is there any reason why his numbers were limited? Well, my good friend Chris Yeager has, Chris Yeager has been coaching Mountain Brook for a couple few years now. And he is it's a fantastic coach. And, and the Mountain Brook offensive staff and really the whole coaching staff Really outcoached you at Trussell in this game. Um, you know, you look at the stats. Mountain Brook controlled the time possession by a huge margin, and and just plain and simple, it was just out. It was the the better coaching staff won the game. Mountain Brook may not have the better players, but the better coaching staff won the game for Mountain Brook. Yeah, so Mountain Brook is undefeated in in first place in that. Class 7A Region 3, which everybody just thought it'd be just an automatic top three in some order of Hewitt, Trustville, Hoover, and Thompson. All three of those schools have a loss now, and Mountain Brook still has Hoover and Thompson left to play. I think, I believe they have Thompson this week and then Hoover. Real quick on these uh, individual performances, what were your thoughts on Paul Tyson? Well, he looked okay. You know, his wide receivers dropped a, a, a touchdown. He was definitely affected by the blitzes, again, back to coaching. 
Mountain, Brook, Mountain Brook did a lot of great things with their scheme and able to confuse um, Paul Tyson, and it really affected them. And he got pressure. He ended up rushing his throws. Uh, the weird thing about this is that, you know, uh, Hewitt Trussell likes to run a lot of zone reads. They run a modern offense. And, and they ran a lot of zone reads in the red zone, and sometimes I don't think Paul Tyson did a very good job of reading the defense and reading what that defensive end was doing. If you read it properly, and if you'd have kept the ball, they'd have scored touchdowns and not field and, and not kicking up kicking field goals or turning the ball over. Turn the ball over, excuse me. And, and that was really the, the the big thing in the game. But again, you know that Mountain Brook pressure it caused Paul Tyson not to step into his throws. He didn't have great accuracy when he got pressure. And I honestly think that Paul Tyson played well enough to win. But the coach and the scheme really let Hewitt Trussell down Friday night, and, and Mountain Brook really deserved to come out with a victory. Yeah. Uh, the other Alabama commits. How about Pierce Quick, the five-star offensive tackle? I, I hear that he's he's living up to his billing. Yeah, you know, I got a lot. I got a lot of people in my on my Twitter feed giving me a hard time about Pierce Quick and how I compared him to Willie Rofe. But it's hard to watch that game not come away with a Willie Rofe comparison. Pierce Quick might be the best offensive lineman to come out of Alabama since John Hanna, to be real honest with you. He's a fantastic football player, and he deserves all the accolades that have been brought to him and that will be brought upon him. And I thought, you know, he really showed out Friday night. Yeah, and Hewitt's got a couple of junior players, or juniors class of 2020 who are committed to Alabama. How about the cornerback, Malachi Moore? Did you have any impressions of him? Yeah, he's just small right now. He's got to get bigger. You know, the Mountain Brook receivers were a bit too physical for him, and, and he really struggled to get off the blocks for the Mountain Brook receivers. He's got to get a lot stronger. The good news is he's only a junior, so he's got a year left in the weight room and really a year and a half before he shows up on campus. So, uh, you know, he's got a ways to go in his development, uh, but he's only a junior. But he has all the natural uh, natural skills that you want. He just needs to get bigger physically uh, to be an effective college player. Okay. And what about DeZalen Worsham, their star receiver? Yeah, he made some fantastic catches. The only concern I have is he dropped a touchdown pass that would have given Hugh and Trust, Trustful the lead. Uh, that's very uncharacteristic of him. Uh, that's not what I've seen on him on film. And so it's disappointing to see that in person. But, again, he's got a lot of talent, and he's going to be able to make a lot of catches in his high school career. He needs to learn learn to make the clutch catch uh, uh, for the team. That will really put him over the top as a college player. All right. Hey, let's take some listener questions. We've got quite a few of them today. Mark, first off, tell everybody how they can find you on Twitter and, and your email address. Well, you know, Drew, I love getting questions on email and Twitter. If you want to tweet at me, my Twitter handle is at MarkJennings55. That's one word, at MarkJennings55. You can also email me if you want to if you're in the Stone Age. You can email me at MarkBreaksDownFilm at AOL.com. That's one word. Mark breaks down film AOL.com. Or you can tweet at me. I love Twitter because it it gives me easy access to questions. I can answer them immediately when I'm not man the dipping dot stands or man the golf course. So either one of those is fine. Again, the Twitter handle is at MarkJennings55. All right. We hear from Jonathan Kingsford at ElephantStop92, and he asks, where will Caden and Mrs. Jennings be watching the Alabama-Tennessee game on Saturday? 
Well, you know, they're going to be working. You know, just because Alabama's on the road and Auburn's on the road, that doesn't mean the Dippin' Dots operation stops. So UAB has a big home game against North Texas on Saturday. North Texas went to Arkansas and got a big win a few weeks ago. And uh, so we're hoping for a big crowd of the UAB uh, versus North Texas game. We're expecting scores of people to be in attendance. And so we're fe- expecting a huge crowd. You know, maybe even hundreds of people in attendance for the UAB North Texas game. So we are we're going to be in Birmingham at Legion Field for the UAB North Texas game, and we're not going to be able to watch the Tennessee game. I'll I'll make sure to watch it on film though for our podcast next week. So don't you worry, John. Thank you for your question. Good deal. William McLeod tweets at Mark Jennings fifty five. Mark, I'm at Talladega and cannot find any of your delicious dipping dot stands. I trust yours and Caden's business expertise, but is there a reason the ice cream of the future can't be found in, in Talladega? Thanks for being the best in the biz. Well, we're currently working on a contract with NASCAR to get our dipping dot stand in Talladega next year for the two big races there. So I can't mention anything about that to you know, my attorney's and, and I don't want to cause any problem that could or, or, or say anything that could cause the loss of not getting that contract. But I, if I were you, William, I would expect to see Dippin' Dot stands at the big races in Talladega next year. All right. Good stuff. Uh, K. Dias, 27. Mark, after breaking down film of Raekwon Davis throwing punches yesterday, which boxer would you compare his style to? And Raekwon Davis got flagged for a personal foul uh, late in the game. It was a pretty chippy game. You know, there was a Missouri linebacker who twisted Henry Ruggs' knee and nothing happened. But, you know, Davis threw a couple of haymakers, uh, and they probably weren't that hard of punches, to be honest. But to get flagged 15 yards, I know you've seen the the replay of that. What, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I saw it, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't have a huge problem with it. I know that the the liberal ESPN announcers had a big deal about it, but on the other hand, that's just football, and that's just protecting your teammates. Uh, but I really did like the one-two counter that Wakeron Davis showed uh, on the field. And, and honestly, I think that if he didn't have a career as a future as an NFL prospect, he could be a boxer. It's very fast hands, uh, a lot of awareness that he showed. Uh, in those punches. He reminds me, when I saw those punches, I immediately thought that he reminded me of a guy out of the state of Arkansas. Just a fantastic boxer and really a fantastic uh, fantastic actor as well. A guy by the name of Tommy Morrison. Do you remember Tommy Morrison, Drew? Yeah, is he the one who passed away due to the AIDS virus earlier this decade, that Tommy Morrison? That's correct. He, he originally contracted the HIV virus, which is, you know, the virus that causes AIDS. And, and he ended up passing away of AIDS. But before he got AIDS, he was a fantastic boxer and, and, and really had very quick hands. And really, uh, unfortunately, uh, he, before he contracted his disease, he had, he had fantastic potential and really could have been a great boxer before he got uh, HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. Right on. Sad stuff, but a great comparison there. Uh, back to football, Drew Smalley tweets at Mark Jennings, 5'5". Mark, I'm taking the family to Gatlinburg this weekend for the third Saturday in October. As a wholesome family man, I'm sure you're familiar with the number one family destination in the South. Do you have any expert suggestions on things to do in Gatlinburg? I do, and that's a fantastic question, Drew. Thank you. You know, me, me Drew, my first love is the love of golf courses, 
and operating golf courses and maintaining golf courses. And let me just tell you, when you're going to Gatlinburg and you don't go to Hillbilly Golf, you're making a huge mistake. Hillbilly Golf is a, is a miniature golf course in Gatlinburg, and it, it, it starts at the top of the hill, and it goes down the hill, and that's the layout of the course. It's fantastically designed, great architecture. You know, if Jack Nicholas designed miniature golf courses, you know, Hillbilly Golf, you would think that it's one of the courses that he designed. But unfortunately, Jack Nicholas doesn't design Hillbilly Golf courses. My good friend Jack Nicholas doesn't design those. I'm hoping he gets into it one day. But if he did, he would design a course that's exactly like Hillbilly Golf in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. So. If you're going to Gatlinburg and you don't play hillbilly golf, you're really doing a, a you're selling yourself and your family short. So that's definitely a, a thing you have to do when you're in Gatlinburg. All right, Paul T. Graham has a couple of questions. Mark, based on your expert medical analysis, do you have a diagnosis on Tua's knee? Well, you know, I, I I've talked about this before. I can't violate hippo laws. Between you know that's between me and the the Tango Baklava family and and their doctors and I can't violate HIPAA laws. Um, I, I you know if I'm an Alabama fan, you know I'm slightly concerned uh, because you know we've seen before that two has gotten hurt, but I, I I I'm not I can't I wish I could tell you more, Paul, but I, I expect him to play against Tennessee Saturday. That's all I can say to you right now. All right. Paul also asks, do you think LSU will be able to have the same kind of success pounding the ball and controlling the line of scrimmage against Alabama like they did against Georgia? Well, you know, I'm relatively new to the college game, but I'm able to look at recruiting rankings and see the guys that I thought would pan out in college. And and Georgia lost a lot out of their defense last year. You know, Roquan Davis was a fantastic player on that defense for them, and he's not there anymore. You look at the other guys they lost on the defensive line. I can't say in that environment that I'm totally surprised that LSU was able to have success running the ball. I think a lot of it had to do, let's be honest here, you know, football's a team game. Jake Fromm was terrible on Saturday, just like he was terrible in the Auburn game last year when Georgia played at Auburn, and they really struggled on that front. And when you can't pass the ball, that really affects your offense. That Georgia defense had to be on the field for a lot of plays. And you look at LSU, <coughs> excuse me, Drew, I'm sorry. LSU was able to wear them down uh, offensively. So if Alabama can maintain possession and put points on the board, that's really going to put a lot of pressure on the LSU offense. And I don't think LSU can be held, able to have the type of success they had running the ball and have the same, same type of success offensively against Alabama the same way they had against Georgia. All right. TD asks Mark Jennings, 55, do you have any inside scoop on why the flyover was late yesterday? Well, that's a TV deal, you know. I, you know, I'm I know the Navy pilots that that flew the planes, and they had to delay for TV, and it really messed up the timing for everything. I believe Alabama followed the Texas and Baylor game. The Texas Baylor game ended later than ESPN thought it would, and that really put a crank. Uh, 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 really messed up the whole situation for them. So uh, it's really a consequence of all the money that's coming in and all the money ESPN is paying the SEC to broadcast their games. And that was really the effect of that. You know, uh, you're talking about fighter jets here. Fighter jets can't just make a U-turn and turn around the way cars do. They're traveling 500 miles an hour. 
they can't just stop. They can't just slam the brakes and take a U-turn. So it takes time for them to set up and get ready. That you know, and so that that was a reason for the delay in the flyover yesterday. Ah, okay. Uh, Jaron Paul Davis asks, uh, "What's the deal with the O line and run blogging?" Well, this is a product of Tua's knee injury. You know, when you're the defensive line, you know that Tua can't run the ball very well, and he's not a really threat to run the ball. You can really tune in on the running backs, and and that's really all this is. You know, the modern offensive game has evolved to the point where where quarterbacks are now a weapon in the offense, not only in the passing game, but in the running game. And when the quarterback is taken away as a weapon in the running game, the defense can really cue in. And and, and to, his, to his knee injury is really the main reason why Alabama hasn't been able to have much success running the ball the past couple of weeks. All right. And then last of all, Trinidad C. Miller asks, Mark, coming from the best in the business, who is the best high school coach in Alabama? And he's uh, asking, is it Jamie Riggs, the longtime coach at T.R. Miller, who's now at Houston Academy? Do you have that answer or a separate answer? Well, I, I love, you know, my good friend Jamie Riggs has been, had a fantastic career, and, and I really respect that he does on the field. But, you know, for my money, uh, the best coach in Alabama is the guy who formerly at Plainview High School has moved on now is at Aliceville High School is – a guy by the name of Dale Pruitt, you might know the last name, his son is Jeremy Pruitt, but I think Dale Pruitt at Aliceville High School is the best coach in the country. And the way he is able to uh, really over-exceed expectations every year and, and get his teams ready to play over at Aliceville, I, I think that's really a testament to his coaching ability. So I'm going to go with Dale Pruitt that answer. That's a good question. I'm going go with Dale Pruitt that answer. Yeah, Aliceville is as up in Sand Mountain, that Aliceville. That Aliceville plays in 7A, I believe 6A or 7A this year. They got them, but might have been pumped up to 7A, but I'm not sure. But the answer to that question is is I think that Dale Pruitt is really, when it comes to high school football coaching in the state of Alabama, you know, I'm the best in the business when it comes to breaking down film and running golf courses and operating dipping dots. But I'm not an expert college, uh, high school football coach. I think the best in the business when it comes to high school football coaching is Dale Pruitt at the Aliceville High School. All right, that's a good, good, great answer there, Mark. Uh, and that'll wrap up this edition of the Champs Corner podcast. Just want to remind you guys, please uh, search for the podcast Champs Corner on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Please uh, share this with your friends. The only way we can really share it is on Twitter and on the email and through word of mouth since AL.com chose Danny Sheridan over us. But, uh, Mark, I just want to thank you again for uh, joining us this week. Drew, as always, you know, my doing this podcast is my favorite thing of the week, and I look forward to it, and I hope that we can do it again next week. I'm sure we will, and we'll talk to you guys later.